Hey podcast listeners, Colleen here. We're thrilled that Software Social has been nominated to receive a SAS podcast award presented by MicroConf. We'd love it if you could take a few minutes out of your day to vote for us at sasspodcastawards.com. On to the show. So we had kind of a wake up call this week. Ooh, what happened? So we were looking at some of our competitors' websites and we realized either their employees don't have kids or they don't care that they're having their employees have kids or what, but they have gotten a lot more done this year than we have. Oh, okay. I mean, we feel good about what we've gotten done considering everything, but it was definitely kind of a moment of, whoa, okay. Like, you know, should, you know, we have this information now, like, should, should we do something with this knowing that um, some competitors are nipping at our heels a little closer than they were a year ago. So what does it mean for them to be nipping at your heels? Are they releasing new features? Are they like, what exactly did you see that made you go, Oh, we need to up our game. So it's, it's partly new features. Um, I think it's one of the most visible things. There's also some, uh, administrative type features, um, like, you know, certain compliance um certifications and you know with this kind of thing though you know you have that first moment it's like oh like they now support something that they didn't before that we do and so that makes us tighter competitors but also remembering that we compete on so many different levels and like we have no one true one-to-one competitor um which 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 i think is is good for us and and there's the other thing is like, we don't really pay much attention to our competitors, which I think is somewhat unique. Um, you know, I get the sense that, that most companies, if, if you ask them to how they divide their mental headspace and, and research time and all of that between their competitors and their customers, I'm going to bet that most companies are somewhere around 80-20 in favor of looking at what their competitors are doing, what their features are, what their pricing is, you know, what their marketing is, like all, all of those kinds of things. And then 20% on the customers. And even like really great companies that are known for focusing on their customers, which most truly great companies are, uh, are probably more like 50-50. And I think we're more like 90-10 in favor of listening to our customers and, and letting them guide our roadmap. And then it's really maybe only once or twice a year that we really check in on what our competitors are doing. Okay. So you were checking out some of your competitor sites and like, what's your reaction? Are you concerned? Are you worried you're going to start? Are you see, are you seeing higher customer churn because people are going to your competitors for these additional features? No, that's the thing. Um, our growth is, you know, perfectly healthy. It's, it's, um, you know, beyond a, a level that, that we, you know, sort of quote unquote need. Um, so all of that is healthy and we're really busy. Um, so we're not worried about it. And I, and I think that's what I have been thinking a lot about is, okay, you know, we have this moment of, we have this new information and whenever we get new information, there is, there is the question of, what do we do with this information? And the answer to that question can be nothing. We don't do anything different. 
which I think is an underappreciated answer uh, in business <laughs> um, many times. Yeah. Um, an old boss of mine was sort of famous for you know his his do nothing approach um, because you know we're not going to sort of run around like chickens with our heads cut off to launch a new feature when you know it turns out that oh well the competitor's pricing model is actually um, not as customer friendly as ours and based on some other things are it's very clear they're going after a different market segment than we are and maybe there's a small percentage of customers that view us as a one-to-one -one comparison, but it's really very few uh, customers who do. But it's it's a tricky thing, right? Yeah, I can definitely see that. So I was talking to a friend the other day about his last SaaS, which did really well. He grew it and he sold it for a good chunk of money. But he was talking about like the emotional upheaval every time a competitor launched. And um, I thought that was really interesting because that's got to be like, you don't know what to do. Should you implement these features? Like there's got to be a lot of tension there in terms of how you approach this kind of new information you have. Yeah. And, and what I tend to think about is when I get those feelings, I pull it back to, okay, what, what are the dimensions that we are truly competing on and how many of those have really changed and how many of those are present in this competitor and how easy is it for this competitor to replicate our model because that's what makes a, a business unique is, is, you know, all the different things that go into it that make certain, you know, price points possible for some companies that aren't possible for other ones, for example. Um, you know, so we, we not only compete on the price itself, we also compete on the pricing model. So we have free tier, daily free tier, plus pay as you go, plus subscription options, and then, you know, all sorts of other more custom options after that. Um, you know, some of our competitors are, uh, for example, one of the major ones, they have a free tier per month, but you have to have a credit card on file. Some of them are a much lower free tier per month. Some of them have a free tier per day, but it's only for a three month period. Like there's all, and then like some of them have pay as you go on top of that. Some, as we were talking about with you a couple of weeks ago, some of them maybe have pay as you go on top of that, or they have subscriptions within a certain band on top of that or they jump straight to enterprise after that um and so the price and the pricing model are one way we compete then of course there's the the data itself like so in our space it's the coverage you know we're us and canada and some of our competitors are us only some of them are worldwide but not at rooftop level some of them are rooftop like some, some places rooftop some places not like all sorts of different things. And then also the different data appends that we have. So adding congressional districts, adding census data, all of that kind of stuff, which most of our competitors don't have. Only one has a couple of those things. Um, so there's the data and, and, and the coverage. There's also things like the features. Um, so we have an API. We also have the ability to upload spreadsheets, like massive spreadsheets. Most of our competitors don't have spreadsheet upload support. Most of them don't have batch geocoding support, and some of them actually expressly prohibit batch geocoding. Um, only one of them has some sort of spreadsheet support, but it's actually like copy-paste, and it's very limited. Um, and then there's also terms of service, which is probably the hardest one for anyone to replicate, which is our extremely permissive terms of use. And 
most of our competitors have very restrictive terms of use and you know you can't store the data you can't reuse it things like that and so when we have a you know a new competitor come on or a new a competitor add you know features or things like that we're always thinking okay like how does this yes there's that initial feeling of like oh oh like okay um but then what does that actually mean for us and how does that change our competitive position and you and usually it's you know what this there's more competition that's fine we're, we're still okay we're still going to keep focusing on on what we do so you're looking for like specific data points like you would be maybe concerned if a customer changed to a similar pricing model or if they decided to let you cash your data or let you keep your data um, so you're looking for things like that are more specifically competing in your competitive advantage. Exactly. Yes. And okay. especially the combination of all of those things too, which is something that thankfully none of our competitors have um, at this point. And, and the thing about competitive advantage, even in a commodity space is that we, we still have some advantages. Like we have seven years now of, of working with this data um, and of happy customers who are willing to vouch for us, who, who talk to other people about us. Like those are advantages we didn't have at the beginning. And now our data is much, much better. The, the user experience of those features is much, much better, which in a commodity space, um, you know, you only have so many levers to pull price is the most obvious one, but user experience is a big one too, because if you can make it easier for someone and it's the same price as something else, they're going to use the one that's easier to use. Um, and so we have, you know, years under our belt of making those things easier. For example, some of our competitors, like maybe they have international data or they do have rooftop data or, or whatever that is, but you have to hit multiple APIs to do that. And so that's an infrastructure decision that has informed a competitive advantage for us because it's easier to use our API because you only have to make one request and then you get everything back all at once. Um, and, and so there's a lot of like strategic level decisions like that, um, that may just seem like an engineering decision or a legal department decision with terms of service, for example, um, that I think really do um, change competitive positioning and, and competitive advantages. So part of this makes me think about something we've discussed before and it's this this decision on how and when to add new features do you guys use a product to help you with that or do you have a product roadmap you guys review every six months like kind of besides looking at you know where you're competing specifically how do you handle um, new features so we do not have a product roadmap i think that was something that we Honestly, we're kind of excited to liberate ourselves from when we went full time <laughs> on this because, you know, we don't have a board of directors to report to. We don't have other departments that need to coordinate. We don't need leadership that's on board. Like, cause we are the leadership. We're also the operators. You know, we're the investor, like we're, we're everything. Um, and so we don't have a roadmap, which is, it just makes it really simple with the two of us because we're always, we're always learning together. And so if something starts to shift that like, oh, like we should, maybe we should add this particular data append, or maybe we need to rethink the uh, user experience of a particular part of our service. Both of us are kind of evolving at the same time. Um, it's pretty rare for us to be in a situation where one of us thinks one thing is really important and the other one thinks something else is, is really important. Um, I think that's really where 
working respect for your co-founder is is really important we do though generally like we'll, we'll talk maybe over the next three months um and how we tend to work especially when it comes to new features is we will do sort of sprints and rest periods so of course everybody knows the term sprints uh from agile and all of that and this term drives me nuts because anyone who has ever run knows that you do not sprint constantly you can't sprint for two weeks and then sprint for two weeks and then sprint for two weeks that you're going to be exhausted you right? your body physically cannot do it and so what we right. will tend to do is we will sprint on a particular feature or something that we're trying to improve or trying to do and then we purposely have a rest period. We might take a couple of weeks yeah. where we're just doing maintenance work. You know, we're, we're doing all of the other things that go into running the business. Um, but we're not doing that energy of new creation, which is kind of exhausting and like requires a lot of mental energy to work through. Okay, well, what if in this scenario, what happens there and that, oh, wait, this could go wrong. How do we handle these three, you know, cases that come out of that? Like all of that sort of thinking is very resource intensive uh from a mental perspective and and so we purposefully will sprint for a period of time and then have a period where we're you know fixing bugs and doing accounting things and and, and other things like that um but we usually don't plan more than maybe two months in advance like we'll, we'll have a general idea of what we're going to be working on over the next couple of months um, we are rarely in scenarios where we have a specific deadline for something, especially for a feature. Like I can only think of one time in the past two years that there was a customer that was coming on board and there was a particular feature that was a, uh, requirement for them to start. And we, you know, we gave them a time frame for that. Um, and we, we basically had a due date for it, but pretty much all of our, our due dates are always self-directed. Very cool. That sounds like a great way to run a business. I mean, it sounds like you guys have a good, a good balance there. Um, and you're far enough along that every time a competitor launches, you know, a new feature, it's not like, oh my gosh, we're going to go out of business. Like, it sounds like you're in a pretty comfortable position. It definitely was like that in the beginning though. Um, you know, we, we yeah. kept a closer eye on things and, yeah, I remember we had, there, there was somebody who launched something similar for Australia and they like copied our entire website and our price. Like they copied oh. literally everything about wow. us. We had another competitor who copied our tagline and I think they might even still um, have it. Who knows? They, they might even be listening. Um, <laughs> I hope they hey, are. Hey, if, if they pay attention to competitors like most companies do, they, they probably think this podcast is a great source of competitive intelligence and corporate, you know, espionage. I love that you said corporate espionage, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fancy. I don't, I tend to be more relaxed about this stuff. You know, we like we see the competitors come on, we see them do things. And I think as a business, because we are so in touch with our customers and because that's so important to us and because we know we're doing the things that are important to them, I think as a business, we tend to have a certain amount of quiet self-confidence. We don't feel the need to be looking over our shoulder, you know, wondering if our customers are going to go to the new hot thing and leave us behind. Like we, we know them, they know us, 
and and we listen to them and 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 so far that seems to be working now there's no guarantees that that will continue to work and there could be some you know crazy funded company that's gonna completely come in and wash us away that certainly happens all the time um especially to small companies um having a big well-financed competitor come in so that's something that could happen in the future but for the time being you know we're gonna keep doing what we're doing awesome so what's up with you so i have been working i've been busy working on all the things um, it's still a lot of fun. It's nice even now past the idea generation stage and having actually shipped something. It's nice to know what to do next. Like I have a lot of things to do, but I know what to do next. And you know, that kind of feels good after floundering for so long with like, Oh, what about this? What do I do now? What do I do now? So customer level is about the same as it was last week. Um, 30 ish people signed up. I think I have 10 that are actively using it. But the great thing is because I've been able to talk to some of the 10 people, I um, have seen some issues with the product that I really want to address, have already addressed, you know, by this week. And the first one was deleting and that I already told you about. So I did that. Um, the second one was customizing the widget. So it looks great on my site because the branding is obviously designed to match my site. <laughs> And so someone sent me um, his production site where he's using it and he has like this uh, dark theme and it looks terrible because oh, no. it's white. <laughs> I know. I was like, let me fix that for you immediately. So it's cool. So I added a section now where as the uh, implementing developer, you can now set your all your different colors. You can upload your own icon. You can completely customize it to match your site branding. Um, so I was pretty excited about that especially since, you know, that's an immediate like gratification thing for people who are using it. I'm also, I have it running on two of my client sites now, and I'm seeing some issues with like the ease of implementation. Like that's my big tagline, right? Is that like, it's easy. And I'm seeing that there are some things you may want to do that are you have to have like a deeper level of JavaScript for. And so I want to, um, kind of, I, I think I, not everyone's going to want to do it. Basically, for example, let's say you're using it for your avatar and your avatar is uploading photos. Um, what would happen is because the drop zone doesn't have a memory per se, if you render the form, but it's an edit form instead of a new form, the previous image is not going to be on the form. You as the developer have to write the image tag to put the previous image in the image tag. And then the drop zone would be wherever you put it on the page. But that's kind of, that's that feels kind of clunky, right? Because you have your image and then you have a drop zone below it. So just things like having it pop up when you click a button, having it hidden, you know, I'm just working through some of the UI stuff. And um, I'm trying to give people options. So yes, it takes five minutes to implement it. If you also wanted to pop up here and do this and do that, here's a snippet you can use to make that happen. So I'm kind of trying to work through some of those kinks. I mean, the great thing about having users, even though it's not a lot, is like, I can see how people are using it. And you can get <laughs> which is so feedback obvious, from people, but... not only yes. as, hey, like, can you do this? But to what you're talking about with a dark mode, like the, the feedback of, 
oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, thank you so much. You fixed it. Like that is some of the most powerful motivation and, and like, like affirmation that you're working on the right thing, which, you know, said for so long, you felt like you were kind of floundering, looking for something to work on and, and, and didn't have that, that kind of direction. Um, and, and we're really just trying to find something. And now to be in a place where you have people using it and you're using it yourself and you're seeing these issues and, you know, on the one hand, it can be a little bit overwhelming to be like, oh my God, this product has such a long way to go. But also you get those little moments of, oh, wow, you fixed it. Thank you so much. Like just hearing someone appreciate you is, you know, I, I find that to be so motivating. Yeah, it's been really cool. And I've noticed too, like in the beginning, you know, you and I have been friends for years and have been doing these coffee chats pre-podcast for years. So you remember me just desperately trying to find an idea and I would interview people. But I have found that now that I actually have something, people are much more open to talking to me about it. So I have like, I've had a couple calls this week. I have calls with just friends that are developers, but I can be like, here is this thing what do you think? How does it integrate with your production applications? And I feel like I'm getting a lot of really good feedback um, from from that. So it's actually really nice to go back through with follow up with people I've talked to before and been like, oh, so I built this thing and um, you can get really specific feedback, which I think is cool. And so that's been that's been a lot of fun. So I've been doing like a lot of calls and just talking and talking and talking to people about what they need. Um, and about the feature thing too, at first when this guy sent me his site and I saw this white drop zone on his blue background, I was like, oh my gosh, I am so embarrassed that I shipped a product that you can't change the color of. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, I just really needed to ship something and it works. You know, I didn't ship a piece of crap. Like it works. It does exactly what it says it will do. Um, so I'm really glad you pushed me to ship it, even though it didn't have some like things that are, are really nice to have. Because once it was shipped, like once it's out there, the hardest part was all the AWS architecture, right? This stuff is easy. Like this stuff I can do in a day. Um, so I'm really glad, like, that's all. That would be my, you know, if you're in that early stages of a product and you have one that works, but it's not perfect, ship it anyway. Cause then to your point, you'll hear from people, you'll see what people want and you'll be able to, to, you know, um, riff on that. And I feel like what I hear you saying is how, you know, you said you, you were, you felt like you were floundering for, for a long time and it was hard to get people to talk to you about that. And you didn't say this, but it, but it sounds like that was kind of a lonely process. And now that you have someone, something out there, you have all these people to talk to you and they're excited about it and they want to give you feedback. And yes, there's like some embarrassment that like, oh my God, like, like you can't change the background. Oh, this is terrible. Like we definitely had those feelings of like, oh my God, our product is terrible. Why would anyone use it? Um, and like, but you have connection now with other people. And so you went from this kind of lonely place to one where you do have conversations and people want to talk to you because there's like something tangible that you can talk about with them. Um, and so I think your story is, you know, so inspiring for people who, who may still be in that looking for a problem, looking for something to build phase, because it's okay if you're feeling kind of alone in that stage, like that's, that's perfectly normal 
I think your story of just, you know, building the thing you needed, even if it's not the most exciting thing in the world, it's not going to be the next Uber, like it solves your problem and you're happy with it. Um, and yes, there's a little bit of, um, embarrassment about features of it when you, when you launch, but you got something out there and, and now you're, you know, collaborating with people yes. on it. Like you can get there. Yes. Yes. You're absolutely right. And you know, I was thinking about this. So I told you part of the reason, like I listen to a lot of podcasts and I listen to a lot of these two founders starting a business podcast. And so I've been listening to them a little more closely. And it occurred to me that of the four I listen to, not a single founder is on his first company. Oh, like they've all started something before. Yeah. Interesting. They've all, I mean, whether it's been like an info product or they haven't all started like super successful SaaSes, but like a couple of them have sold, they've all sold something outside of their consulting before. So I think also, I think part of my, part of the thing that is lonely um, and can feel really frustrating when you're trying to get started is I'm listening to these guys on their podcast and they'll just like casually mention the other company they sold or they'll casually mention they're backed by Tiny Seed. And I'm like, wait, 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 back up. Like, what about us that are just starting from the beginning? So um, yeah, so that's just like my little pep talk. If you're just starting from the beginning, so am I. <laughs> and, uh, and it is lonely in the beginning, especially since you're so like, you're so directionless, right? Um, so like you said, now I have a direction. This might, as we said, I don't, I don't really know where it's going, but now I can talk to people and I can collaborate with people and I can really find out the pain frequency of this problem, which is something we have discussed before too. It sounds like you're in a good place right now. I am like, this part is so fun. Another thing I've been thinking of is like, as we've discussed before as well, this is like what I want to do, right? Like this is, this is the path I want to go on. So I've tried to kind of implement strategies to not work myself to death or thinking I'm just going to be, you know, once I, cause I used to think like, Oh, I just launched something. Like everything will be perfect. I think Amy Hoy has a great article about this too. Um, like if I just make my first sale, like everything will be perfect. Like this is, I want this to be my job. Like I want this to be, you know, something that weaves itself into my life in a really manageable way. And so, you know, this is a really fun time right now. So I'm just trying to enjoy it. I'm so happy to see you in a good place. Like, you know, as you mentioned, like we've been having these conversations for years now and it's just so gratifying for me to see you so like happy and bubbly and full of tasks and things and directions and, and like you, you're on the path. You, you may have just gotten your foot on it, but you are on, the, like we have gotten you to the trail. You are no longer <laughs> yes. wandering through the woods. Like, <laughs> Victory, now granted, there, be, the there, there, there will be rivers, there will be cliffs. Like this trail is not going to be just a walk in the park, but we found the trail and that is such a huge <laughs> part of the journey. And I'm, I'm just so happy to see you at this place now. Like it's just so gratifying for me. Awesome. It makes me happy too. And thank you so much. You're the best. Um, so, oh, and so really this upcoming week, I need to work on my marketing page. It's funny how like, I just have been really slow to get that done. It's not that it's particularly hard. I just have to do it. Um, so I need to, I need to fix up my marketing page and like, just keep talking to people and, um, just keep iterating and reaching out to folks. Yeah. So, so that's kind of where I am. Are you still reading story brand? 
I am. And so this week's chapter was actually so it felt so obvious, like I, I almost didn't want to share it. This this week's chapter was not a big like, aha, it was a call to action. And it's basically like, don't forget to tell people that what you want them to do. Like that was the whole chapter. Like don't like call to action. Like they need to, you, so you do all this work to, you know, get them to trust you and uh, establish yourself as an expert and an authority in the field. You understand them. You understand their problem. Now you have to tell them what to do. And so you have to call them to action. Oh, you know, I remember when I was reading this chapter and I also thought that it was something that was so obvious. And then I looked at our website and I was like, wow, we actually haven't done this. Like there are a lot of places where it said, <laughs> you know, it said sign up when really the action was upload a file or create an API key or like not just telling them do something, but do this specific thing. That will wrap up this week's episode of the Software Social Podcast. We'd love to hear from you at on the Twitter, on Twitter, <laughs> at Software Social Pod. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality. Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from the Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of WorkCited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabel developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from RecruitKit.